Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Brewers, it's time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer, this is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Greetings, cretins. <laughs> And Travis has got, uh, hey. I, I, I was thinking about trying to do like a Mrs. Doubtfire. Hello. Hello. You know, that'd be good. <laughs> hello, my children. Hello. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Breeze Drum. Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, I see we find you at home today. Yeah. Yeah. I have my interesting background here, you know. Yeah. I, I always think, oh, you know, I'll, I'll do something like that. I'll put some hops or I'll put like a brewery photo. I've done that in the past. And I'm just like, yeah, whatever. You're welcome to see what, what my real life is like. <laughs> that, that's nice. That's, I've thought of that, but, you know, it's, it's a matter of showing everyone the mess, you know, that's behind me all the time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, why distract, you know? Right, right. Then people look at your giant cones instead. Yeah, yeah. I'm known for my cones. Your cones, your giant cones. Mm-hmm. And then Travis has his Bobby A Bear holding paint cans. That's my buddy back then. <laughs> it's quite weird. Quite weird. <laughs> oh, well, I love it. It just just paste a couple of hops on those paint cans and it'll look uh-huh. look reasonable. Right. There you go. Or yeah, just sw- swab them out with hops or beer yeah. cans. Yeah, there you go. Either one of those, yeah. Can't a Pliny, you know. Giant beer cans. You know who else uh, is is pretty weird is uh, our good friend John Blickman. (laughs) He has some giant beer cans, I believe. He's got some giant cans. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's got some sweet cans. But, uh, you know, that that sweet weird guy has been paying for the show, so you don't have to, for over a decade now. I mean, when you put it in those terms... That's right. Like a long time. We've it's probably, a legacy. Yes. We could probably calculate it out into into fortnights, you know, and yeah. however many fortnights it is. I'm just saying. Uh, it's a long time. So if you get a chance and you want to, uh, you know, give them some feedback, just uh, feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com. Tell them how much you appreciate that he pays for the show so you don't have to. And, uh, you know, uh, check out all the fine gear that they have at BlickmanEngineering.com. They got everything from the, the, the basics, you know, the sturdy, yep. you know, uh, 
simple, uh, you know, the 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 handle series, handle series, uh, up to their their premium lines with all the bells and whistles, and you know, right. inventing new bells and whistles that you never thought could exist before. They're right. doing that, and then the the pro series as well. So if you're plan on opening a brewery with uh, the 9,000 other breweries in California, in, <laughs> in the U.S. and uh, or internationally, um, you know, check it out. Uh, they ship uh, good yeah, stuff. They do. They've brewed. They've designed these things to help you brew better. Mm-hmm. Well, Blickman brews beer. Mm-hmm. And he's not somebody just making making shit. He's actually just he actually brews it. So check him out. Good people. Good stuff. Paying for the show so you don't have to. Uh, today, we were going to, uh, again, tackle more of your questions. If you're listening live, feel free to uh, put your questions in the chat there. Uh, Mr. Uh, Paul Mayer will be uh, monitoring those. Yes, we right. all must be vote. Um, but uh, John, will, John will do that. I got a question from uh, Jason who wrote... Uh, Hi, guys. I've been trying to find out if it is good practice to store sanitizer in fermenters. I wasn't sure if there were long-term implications, especially with plastic. Thanks, Jason. John, you ever you ever store, from, store uh, long-term sanitizer? Um, yeah. In fact, I have Star San and a couple of spray bottles placed strategically around the house where I happen to be brewing. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, yeah, those have been there for a year and counting, no problems. Um, you don't want to store other sanitizers in stainless steel. The probability of corrosion is just too high, hmm. especially if you're using iota four or chlorine dioxide or you know some of right. these other things that are are much more aggressive. Star San, it's phosphoric acid uh, based, I guess you'd say with some other little bit of bits and pieces of, you know, ingredients, but phosphoric acid and stainless, pretty, pretty benign, pretty good couple. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get into the halogens like um, iodine and chlorine, uh, then you have severe, you know, some severe corrosion risk with time. Right. Yeah. I used to, uh, as a home brewer, I would uh, make up my star sand and I would, uh, in a spray bottle, no, it's just stored in the fridge. Yeah, you know, slow down the uh, uh, the decomposition. Um, and if you if you mix it up with uh, distilled water, distilled it seems water, to, uh, you know, stay active for a lot longer. Yeah, iota four. I always use that, and you know, try uh, you keep it for a day or two. You know, same thing in the fridge in a spray bottle works well. Yeah. Um, at the at Heretic. You know, we mix up fresh acid sanitizer, which is what, you know, you call it starts in the brewery, uh, acid sanitizer um, every day and refill all the spray bottles every day. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, part of the problem with plastic, like let's say storing it in a plastic bucket, especially iota for is it will stain that and it'll work its way into the plastic and also the plastic tends to breathe and so a lot of those uh uh you know compounds in the sanitizer are going to you know disperse and uh vaporize yeah you know, less effective over time mm-hmm. but uh yeah i think 
gently you, you can, but uh, I wouldn't start long term. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, interesting question, Jason. Yeah. Ryan writes, I have brewed a couple of IPAs that were dry hopped. In both batches, I use pellet hops to dry hop with. I'm struggling with the hop matter this leaves in the beer. Oh. My wrote most recent two and a half gallon batch, I cold crashed at about 35 degrees for 24 hours before transferring to a keg. This worked uh, a bit as most of the hot matter settled at the bottom of the carboy. However, I must have pulled more than I thought into the keg as the dip tube and or the poppet ball lock is getting clogged. My questions are this. One, is it better to use whole hops as opposed to pellet hops when dry hopping to avoid this problem? Can you get the same character from whole hops? Two, if pellet hops are better, do you have any suggestions to avoid this issue? Thanks in advance for your time. Travis, you make a lot of hoppy beers. You do a lot of dry hopping. What's your solution? You use pellets or you use uh, whole hops? I use the pellets and I use the hop screens. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy with the results I get. I Just like just like uh, Ryan, I, I can't throw pellets in my fermenter. I end up in my keg. Mm-hmm. The tube's plugged up and I'm pulling it out, putting it back in and hoping I don't infect my beer. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people are don't want to use the hop screens. They don't think they get the contact, right? Um, it's probably true. You get better contact if you throw it straight in. Mm-hmm. But I mean, in, in the 10 inch, 10 inch, I put like two ounces, three ounces of hops in there for at the most. So it leaves it some room to, you know, if it's packed up in there, sure, it's not right. going to do much good. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I suffer for probably I could get better expression on the hops, but I try to select hops to give good enough expression in the tube. Right. Yeah, I think you can overcome the, the limitations of using some sort of screen or um, they also have bags, um, you know, uh, that you can use just by upping the quantity, I think, mm-hmm. you know, should should be all right. Um, you know, my whole thing about whole hops is um, whole hops are good, you know, and especially when, you know, early in the season, early after picking, I think one of the things that happens is, you know, the hops get processed into the pellets and, you know, the pellets kind of get that, uh, you know, shiny coating on them mm-hmm. and, um, you know, everything's all processed up. So I, I prefer pellets uh, for, for my dry hopping. But, you know, one of the things we do at the brewery is uh, to centrifuge the beer. So we'll, we'll let everything settle. And then um, either we'll, we'll be very careful in drawing off the liquid uh so we don't get the hops and we'll leave a lot of liquid behind or um you know we'll centrifuge it so you know essentially spin the beer to accelerate gravity and, and drop the hops out that way really we need we need a homebrew size centrifuge what, what's blickman yeah. working on can he, can I, he throw I've out su- a, a yeah i've suggested that to him in the past yeah yeah what did he say um like, he just kind of right nodded on. and uh yeah, went back to his beer. Yeah. We'll see if I ask. I think then, then things will happen. Yeah, I'm there saying, you go. Yeah, you know. carry more weight. Yeah, or maybe <laughs> you won't just roll over and go back to sleep on you. <laughs> I would bet there are homebrewers out there that would pay for that. I, I am not one of them, but uh, yeah, there are some people out there with major equipment, right? Homebrewing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they would buy this. Right. I think. I think. Uh, you know, the the trick is in not oxidizing the beer if you, you're going to centrifuge 
Yeah. And again, get a centrifuge that, but you know, I would think you could just <laughs> put, put like two glass carboys in a, you know, like a paint spinner, the old fashioned paint spinner thingy, <laughs> you know, and then, uh, you know, just crank it and you've got, you know, um, you know, you've got, uh, you know, hundreds of pounds of liquid and glass flying around and, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. you could accelerate gravity that way. You know, uh, Bluetooth of a room, you know, so you're right. not in the room with it just in case. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Motor it up. Uh, Jamil, um, Emil Salazar in the chat says he's been looking at cryo hops for his dry hopping, but his mm. local homebrew shop doesn't carry any. Right. Uh, have you used the cryo hop? Um, does that help in terms of hop matter in the beer? Yeah, yeah. So we've been using, um, it, uh, there's a constant stream of new um, hop technologies, I, I think, or formats, yeah. Yeah. Uh, whatever you will. Uh, that have been coming out and they're, they're the hop suppliers are doing a lot of research on trying to, to um, provide all the hop goodness without all the, the leafy matter, because what happens is, you know, it absorbs a lot of liquid and, you know, costs you quite a bit. So um, we've been trying a bunch. We just did a beer with uh, Hopsteiner, Jay, Jay Prawl uh, from Hopsteiner and uh, uh, Kevin uh, Drake from Alibi, who we went with Blickman when he won the uh, oh, yes. in Tahoe yeah. City. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so uh, we did a, a collab with them and using all the latest technology and, and stuff. And the beer turned out great. Um, the Difference is, you know, without that green matter in there, it tastes different. Yeah, just that aspect was missing, huh? Right, right. Um, so that was, you know, it wasn't totally missing. It was just very subdued. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just get used to, um, you know, having that in there. I'm not saying that, yeah. that, you know, it was bad without it, but it was different. Right. So I don't think you can take these new uh, products and just, you know, use them off a mound yeah you have to you have to be aware that it's going to be slightly different but yeah they're they're a good, yeah. good products when you use the cryo do you actually back off on your total hot mass or do you use an ounce or ounce uh right you you back off you don't want uh you don't use the the same ounce for ounce because they've removed quite a bit of the weight by removing that that material there what do you think homebrewers do <laughs> pile it in all right let's do this let's take a short break and when we come back we'll have more of your questions right after this back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys brew strong all right we're back we're uh, answering your questions. When you have questions that you want us to answer, uh, you can send them in to uh, uh, brewstrong at thebrewingnetwork.com. And uh, while you won't get uh, you know an answer to your email, you will get in the queue for getting your, your questions answered. So uh, right. uh, have patience. Some of them have taken uh, you know 10 years to answer. Right. And we <laughs> do occasionally get to them. We do occasionally answer, reply to the email if, yes. if it seems, you know, 
pertinent and right. You know, yeah. and we're and we're, we're in a good mood. Yeah, sitting around drinking and yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we do we right. do try to answer all your questions. We do one do. way or another. We do do yes, we do do try and answer your questions. Uh, well, uh, for example, uh, Stephen uh, has a interesting uh, question here. Okay. Uh, he says, uh, I had a beer contract brewed in a local brewery last year, a smoked porter, brewed for a bar nearby and to be served there exclusively. The brewery is known for clean beers and good fermentation. I brewed it with them. It was a good brew day. The mash passed iodine tests early on. Everything was uh, quite meticulously sanitized going into the fermenter. And the yeast was the right amount of dry USO5 uh, Caleo. Stored cold and rehydrated properly. Around the same time, I was serving a beer from the same brewery at a small festival and all the kegs all from the same batch were fiercely overcarbonated, totally uh, untappable. A local bar also had this problem with another of their beers. Anyways, a few months after brewing, we gave it over a month in the bright tank and then a month in kegs. My beer went on tap and was well-received. Definitely a love-hate beer, but fermentation was very clean. After a few months, what do you know, up came the carbonation level. Kegs are stored uh, at cellar temp at this bar. Normally, I think this is a no-brainer. It's wild yeast, but in all cases I've experienced of wild yeast contamination, there's been, to some extent, cloudy beer and off flavors. Um, of all three of these overcarbonated beers, there was no off flavor and no cloudiness, although mine was dark as night. The others two were light in color. The brewery took responsibility. They refunded me for the bad kegs at the festival and they picked up my overcarbonated kegs, transferred them back to bright tanks and let off gas. We filled the kegs, re-delivered and all was okay after that. Even months after this, there was no obvious off flavor. However, when pressed for an explanation, the brewery guys uh, start coming up with any old bullshit to explain what happened. The local malt contains ungelatinizable starch, this, yeah. that, and the other. And the latest one is along the lines of, well, I'm not surprised the fermentation restarted because of the amount of roast and smoked malt. What the fuck? Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. So I asked you two, what do you see here? Is there any possible explanation other than low-level wild yeast? Thanks. Um, the issue is uh, diastaticus, probably. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Because what that will do is it will um, make for obscenely high uh, carbonations, overcarbonation, uh, and um, it's pretty flavorless, although right. you will get a, a, a thinning of the beer as well. So, you know, it's something that's got a lot of uh, specialty malt and has a lot of in that, you know, viscosity that way, you may not notice it quite as clearly, but um, diastaticus is in most breweries. And unless you have a way to test for it, we use uh, PCR testing at Heretic to uh, determine if there's diastaticus present. Um, it's very easy to, you know, get that infection in there. And if, if they're not, you know, 
really meticulous and you know using heat and things like that at this brewery on their fermenters you know they're picking it up that way so um i'm you know if i had to bet money on it i would tell you it's diastaticus that's clearly the problem that's what i'm thinking too because yeah as you say it, it doesn't generate off flavors but it tends to eat up all your dextrins and you tend to lose flavor depth in mm-hmm. porters and stouts. I mean, it's still, still carbonated, still tastes like beer, but the malt depth isn't, the complexity isn't there. Yeah. Um, and as you say, the, you know, identifying it in a brewery can be difficult because um, it, it is Saccharomyces cerevisiae. It, it looks the, exactly the same as the other yeast. If you look mm-hmm. at it under the microscope, you don't see bacteria. You don't see strange, you know, elongated cells or anything. It looks the same. It's just, there's this genetic difference that it carries an extra gene that allows it to uh, break down dextrins into glucose. It's a amyloglucanase type enzyme. Yeah. There's a, um, you know, we use PCR because it's quick. It's, you know, a few hours. It's mm-hmm. not cheap, but um, there is a, a media for people who can't afford the PCR. There is a media available um, from, uh, oh, I'm not sure who it's from, that will uh, allow you to determine if you have diastaticus uh, in a like a litmus test kind of thing. Yeah, you 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 played it out like you do with any of the differential media. Um, so this this uh, particular product uh, is out there, and, and that's what we started with. Just takes a little longer to do. Yeah, and it takes you you know a few days. Well, well guys, yeah. for home brewers, you know we use Starsan, and it doesn't necessarily kill Saccharom- Saccharomyces, right? Oh, it does. Yeah, it will. Yeah. Okay. It's star sand is limited by the organic load that you put on it. So that's why you can, you know, sanitize a fermenter and then immediately fill it with your wort and pitch because the organic load and the buffering there overwhelms the conditions that make it sanitize the surfaces. Gotcha. And so, yeah, it doesn't, it, it doesn't end up killing your yeast, but if you have, residual yeast, you know, like on the side of the fermenter that didn't get, you know, wasn't thoroughly cleaned or something and you sanitize it. Yeah. It should, it should kill, you know, that residual yeast, but uh, it's a matter, like I say, it's a matter of the total amount of material that you're trying to get rid of. Excellent. Well, here's an interesting one for anybody who wants to open a a brewery. Um, Tim wrote about the South coast air quality management district. I'm not sure which which coast he's talking, but uh, he says, uh, hi, Jamel and John. I love your work on Bruce Strong, and I've listened to just about every episode available. Uh, through the show and your writing, you've been able to answer just about every question I could come up with and then some. Well, now I found one you haven't addressed. I'm putting together a small brewery out in Westlake Village. Yeah, it's LA. Yep. Five Threads Brewing Company. Okay. You know them? I've heard of them, yeah. This is six, six and a half years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. They're, they're, I've heard. Jumped right on this yeah. question. Yeah. Um, 
And the Calabasas Building and Safety Office has asked me to get clearance from the South Coast Air Quality Management District. I've submitted my application, but even with their small business discount, the fees seem very excessive. I was wondering if through all your conversations with the local breweries around here, if you've heard any advice on how to deal with this agency, they want me to pay an application fee and an annual fee for each fermenter I install in the brewery. Even with the 50% discount for small businesses, each application fee is over uh, $1,800. And due to their backlog, they require another $900 expedite fee to uh, look at the application in a period of weeks instead of months. I know you both have a busy schedule of late, but I would appreciate any advice you could provide. Yours in brewing, Tim, uh, founder brewer, Five Threads Brewing Company. Huh, that is an issue that I have not addressed, but I know someone who has, and that would be Michelle at the LA Brewers Guild. Hmm. Um, they, the LA Brewers Guild, you know, it's this area. All the craft brewers uh, belong to it. Um, I'm sure that issue has been has been discussed there. And uh, check them out <laughs> online. I think it's labreweryguild.org. Well, it's re- really weird because yeah, usually the air quality folks they're worried about like gas fired burners, boilers, yeah. anything that yeah. solvents. Really- you know, combustion and exhaust, solvents, chemicals. I mean, the only thing that's coming out of the fermenter is CO2. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. I mean, it's, you know, it's a product of fermentation. If you're baking bread, you know, you have CO2 coming out of the bread too. Yeah. You know, when you let the dough rise. Um, So why they require that is just bizarre. I mean. Yeah, I... I don't, I don't, I don't, I hesitate to say that it's a mistake at their, at the mm. county side, but they're being um, overly cautious. If you ask yeah. Me. And it could be that, in the, you know, in the sense he wrote this message that it's been resolved mm. and rules and regulations have been fixed to a, address it, but yeah, I, I don't know. I'm curious to find out if, if it has been fixed. Yeah. If it wants to email us, let us know. Um, but that, you know, to me brings up, you know, the point that I've made in the past of, you know, know the location that you're going to open a brewery, you know, find out what kind of restrictions they're going to put on you and what kind of fees they're going to yeah. charge you before you decide on it, before you sign a lease, you know, you need to, you know, investigate all these things that can, you know, uh, make it hard to run your brewery. Um, you know, if, if you, you know, Man, if you got to pay eighteen hundred dollars per fermenter every year, yeah, wow, that is that is steep. Yeah, Um, and go big. Don't get as many fermenters. Get bigger ones. Right, get bigger (laughs) ones. Exactly. (laughs) So you don't have to uh, use use as many. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I I find that I find that fascinating. That uh, you know, he's had to uh, pay these fees and and you know, long months of of waiting time if you want to add a new fermenter you got to wait months for your application to go through yeah uh before you can put a fermenter in oh my god so that's that's definitely like a little local thing that 
know, doesn't occur elsewhere because I didn't have that. And right. I, yeah. I'd never heard of that before. Not Well, I might have heard of it before. We may have actually covered this before. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, you're in Northern California. I mean, right. so you have an air quality management district probably. Yes, but there's several around here. Yeah. And, ours, um, ours is particularly strong. Uh, L.A., you know, smog city. Right. Um, home of smog city brewery. In fact. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, su- I'm surprised that carbon dioxide from a brewery is on the list, but then again, I'm not too surprised cause I can mm-hmm. see where they would co- definitely cover that, but I think probably more from an industrial usage point of view rather than breweries, right? Because as you say, bakeries would have the same mm-hmm. problem. Right. Have you heard of anything like this in Texas, Travis? I, I have not, you know, not at all. Um, I mean, in, in my other line of work, et cetera, it, it just seems egregious. It's a, you know, and, and with, with no respect to the size of your vessel. Right. I was thinking of bakery, you'd have one massive oven, you know, just to keep the cost down, whatever it is. It's just, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Texas is probably more concerned with cow farts, I imagine. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Um, Christopher has a calcium oxalate question. Oh. <clears throat> According to the chemistry, calcium oxalate forms through the interactions of organic acids, calcium ions, and carbonates, and the formation is increased in a CO2 rich environment. Essentially, increase the concentration of individual compounds in beer stone, and you have a higher probability of it precipitating out. However, the conventional wisdom in breweries is to add calcium to both the mash and boil to prevent calcium oxalate formation. I'm not sure if that's the reason for adding it to the mash and boil. Right. Uh, I.e. oxalate is produced from having too little calcium in the brewing process. Right. It seems counterintuitive to me as uh, precipitates precipitates, uh, generally don't form when uh, ion concentrations are too low. Additionally, adding calcium creates an environment where more of the beer stone forming compounds are present at higher concentrations, which should f- favor uh, precipitation. Can someone help me out with this? Thanks, Owen in Louisville. Yes, I can. Yeah, the reason the reason we talk about adding uh, calcium to the brew, to the brewing water to the mash um, is that when you if, if your water is low in calcium um, you're, and you mash in, you're going to have kind of a, a low to threshold amount of calcium um, that can react to form calcium oxalate. And that potential will, can make it all the way into the bottle. And then with time, that calcium oxalate can precipitate in the bottle and cause gushing. Whereas if you add sufficient calcium up front in the mash, then you can get all that calcium oxalate to precipitate in the mash and leave it behind. And so that the oxalate, you know, the organic acid gets precipitated out early, doesn't make it into the bottle and therefore no gushing problems. So that's an, it's, it's a, it's another reason that we advocate increasing calcium to a minimum of 50 ppm in your brewing water uh, is to help encourage that precipitation during the mash and boil so it doesn't make it in the bottle. 
And also for the, the yeast, for inoculation. Yes. And all the other reasons we right. had calcium as well. Right. So is there a reason, John, why, why it would make it past the mash, but end up getting stuck in your fermenter, which maybe that's what Owen's asking about? Yeah, I mean, it's just um, a lot of these precipitation reactions, you know, depend on the con- depending on the concentration, are slow. So you have just enough to precipitate with time, and it slowly builds up into a into a crystal. And that crystal, you know, in in the case of the bottles, can cause nucleation of the carbon dioxide. But in the fermenter, you know, as or so, yeah, in the fermenter or the kettle, you know, it would just precipitate as beer stone and be annoying. Whereas if you can get it to precipitate earlier in the mash and be carried away in the spent grain, that's a lot less beer stone in the kettle and fermenter. Yeah, we get uh, a stone formation in our hot, hot liquor tank. And, uh, you know, once it starts, it's easier for more to build on it than, um, you know, the initial, uh, you know, formation. So once you get beer stone starting, it just piles on, you know, rather quickly. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a huge uh, thing to uh, get it cleaned out. So uh, once or twice a year, we shut everything down, drain that thing out, and then they put on special suits and, and bring out the really strong acids and uh, clean that thing. Our, our, our chem company uh, helps us with that. It's yeah, a, it's a job. Quite, quite a deal. All right. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll have more of your questions right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all green brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. Travis, you take this one. (laughs) Let's see here. Uh, Justin is asking about uh, hot packs. He says, hey, guys, love the show, uh, blah, blah, blah. Please uh, blow some awesome smoke up John Blickman's ass. His products and in this show had amazing results on my beer quality. He uh, makes 10-gallon batches, uh, mostly IPAs and bitter styles. He is chilling with a, and uses a hop rocket and a plate chiller. Mm-hmm. lives in Canada where the groundwater is very cold and he can chill a 10 uh, gallon batch pretty quick. 
This question is, can I chill the batch too quickly with one to two ounces of hops in the hop back when brewing IPAs? I can easily slow the chilling process down, but I don't know if there is a good reason to do so. Thanks, Justin. I'm not sure I understand the question. Yeah. Well, he he's, mean, is he transferring too fast through the hop yeah, he's, he's going through pretty quick, he thinks, and he wonders if going slower would improve his result. Uh, you know, in a hot back, um, contact time does matter. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, slower, longer, you know, should extract more uh, from the hops in the hot back. Right. Um, right. It depends on how much you're using, how large your batch is. I mean, it may be that very quickly running it through, you're already extracting everything you're going to extract. Yeah. The total time it's taking is already, you know, plenty. Um, it may be that you're putting a lot in there and it's extracting, you know, most of it, but not all that it could extract. You know, let flavor be your guide on this. And if you, you know, I, I would say, you know, experiment with, you know, doing a, uh, you know, a, a slower transfer time and see how that works. Maybe that works better for you. Maybe not. Yeah. Um, see what your flavor difference is. Yeah. There, I, there's really no issue with chilling too much is one aspect of the question. So I don't or think you have to worry. Quick. Chilling too quickly yeah there's no yeah. issue there it's i think i think you've i think you've got it where he's i think he's concerned about running the work through the hop back too fast and losing extraction perhaps yeah hey travis have you ever used the hop back uh, i've done things similar before not quite that i'm, I'm still scratching my head uh, wondering if he's bringing his beer back into the kettle through the hop back and that's mm. what he's trying to slow down didn't sound like it, hmm. uh, but I mean, he may. Uh, it sounded like he was running through a, a plate chiller. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's probably going through the hot back and then through the plate chiller. And Straight to fermenter, right? He's, he's going yeah. pretty, pretty quick. Uh, you know, one of the things, you know, uh, you might try today, uh, it's become quite common to lower the uh, kettle temperature down around 175 Fahrenheit, uh, 170 to 175 Fahrenheit, and then uh, use that through a hot back or whirlpool to introduce your hop character. The reasoning being you're blowing off less of the volatiles, you'll get more uh, hop uh, character. So you might try that. Uh, one of the things you could do is, you know, recirculate, uh, you know, through your plate chiller back into the kettle until everything gets down to about 170 uh, to 175 Fahrenheit and then transfer through your hot back. Um, that might be another thing to try. Um, you know, who knows? Yeah. You, yeah. yeah. James asks in the, in the chat, he says hot back versus whirlpool advantages one or the other. Um, yeah. I think it all kind of, it's all depending on, uh, how you are able to clear the trub and from block, you know, pl plugging your plate chiller. Mm, right. Um, yeah. The whirlpool is, is quite handy with that, but a hop back can be as well. Uh, if you have a good bed in the hop back and it's, and it's large enough, 
uh, you know, the hop flowers will catch the, you know, the truve as it comes out. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, you generally can add more hops in the whirlpool than you can in a hop back, unless you have a right. really big hop back. Um, so that's one of the advantages there and you can, you know, extend your contact time to, you know, as long as you want in, in the whirlpool. Um, yeah, I think a whirlpool would be a, considered a little bit better for flavor extraction than a hop back hmm. given the, you know, the volume considerations, the amount right. of hops you could add. Right. Potentially. I've yeah. used a hop back, a hop rocket, um, several times in the past, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, when I'm using pellets with it, then I put them in a bag, you know, in there to kind of, uh, flatten out and, and prevent the, the fines from going into the chiller. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sure, you know, uh, if you, uh, You know, again, it just depends on flavor and what 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 it is you like and what you're trying to achieve. Um, let's see here. Uh, Steve has a Q&A about yeast. Uh, no introductions needed. Right to the question. Ah, there you go. I've been reading about people overbuilding their yeast starters so they can save some of the yeast on brew day. This way, you don't have to harvest the yeast and washing after fermentation. I've done this a few times, and to me, it seems like a good way of reusing yeast without having to go through the hassle of washing the yeast. This saves a step on the day I package my beer because I am lazy. What are your thoughts on saving yeast from your yeast starters? Uh, Steve in Wisconsin. Travis, uh, haven't you done something similar where you're making a starter and you'll set some aside and make another starter with it later? My buddy James does that, but I, I don't. I do the repitch. I do the mm -hmm. rinse and repitch. Right. Um, I don't know why. Well, maybe it's because a certain calculator considers all my yeast dead in about four weeks, but I don't just hold on to some yeast <laughs> and reprop it up. It's also, I'm not convinced of when I reprop from something that's been sitting for four weeks, mm -hmm. you know, how many steps do I have to take to get my yeast pitch? Right. So I, I do the repitch without going too far down that rabbit hole. Well, and one of the issues with it is um, it, it depends a lot on the, how you're making your starters and the condition of the starters and you know, what you've achieved with your starter. Um, you know, you can end up, uh, you know, causing, you know, petite mutants and, uh, you know, various things to happen and, you know, change the, you know, the flocculation uh, characteristics or the attenuation characteristics, or, you know, you can deplete the, the yeast to make them weaker. You know, there's just a lot of little things that could possibly happen. But in general, I think it's fine. Um, you know, rinsing, rinsing yeast, um, not, not acid washing, but just rinsing yeast is not that difficult. It's some, you know, boiled water that's cooled down. You pour it in with the yeast, shake it up, and then you know, decant off the, the good stuff and leave behind the crap. So it's pretty simple. Um, but, and, you know, the amount that you can harvest out of a fermenter is huge. You know, you can pitch another five batches of beer with it. Whereas growing it up as a starter, um, you know, there's a lot of work in that too. Um, but I guess if you're making a starter, you make a huge starter, um, 
you could use half, you know, like half of it for a batch. And then you still have essentially a whole nother pitch. Um, you could hold it for, for a few days and then, you know, until you have time to brew another beer and then use it that way. That sounds pretty good to me. Um, if you're going to hold it for weeks, then I would, you know, redo the starter and get it going again. Um, at yeah. least add some, some fresh work to it the, the day of and try and get it kicked off before you, you used it. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I think handled right. Um, I definitely think, you know, you can do that. Um, I don't see a problem with it. You know, there's all sorts of reasons why it wouldn't work, but you know, those are all things you can change or you can control. Um, it's not like, a, you know, it's fundamentally flawed or anything. It just needs appropriate, uh, appropriate handling, right? Right. We've got a good question from the chat. Oh, yeah. James is asking about uh, cocoa nibs and, uh, or excuse me, Greg is, I got the name wrong. Um, and I know that you've brewed with uh, cocoa nibs. And um, when I was working on the uh, how to brew this last time, this revision, mm -hmm. um, it was my understanding from talking to brewers and, you know, reading articles that cocoa powder was actually easier to work with and gave better results than cocoa nibs because it's been the powder has been defatted, uh, whereas the cocoa nibs have the fat. And I was talking with another brewer just last week where um, he managed to clog his uh, piping because all the cocoa nibs were floating in the fermenter mm. and he had to take it apart and clean it and then get them back in. Um, what's your experience with cocoa nibs? Yeah. Um, I've from, for 20 years, I've been saying powder is better than nibs and people didn't believe me. People didn't believe me. And, um, even at my own brewery, nobody believed <laughs> me. And so we did a blind taste testing, same beer. We put, you know, we flavored one with nibs, flavored one with cocoa powder, and they all picked the cocoa powder. They said it had much better chocolate flavor. You know, the cocoa flavor was very present and fresh and, and real. And the, the nibs one was no good. And they believed to every last one of them that the, the powder was nibs and the nibs was powder. <laughs> and once I told them, they're like, wow, okay. Yeah, cocoa powder, you're right. Um, like you're saying, there can be problems with the nibs uh, floating or clogging pipe work. Um, you know, in a similar vein, there's problems with cocoa powder in that it's very dusty and it takes a long time to settle and you have to wait a long time, but it's worth it. Um, the good thing about uh, cocoa powder is you don't get that um, tannic bite that you get from nibs. So nibs, besides the fat that they have, they also have a, a woody portion. The uh, oh. you know, kind of it's it's got bits of, you know, I guess the the husk, yeah, that, uh, are part of it. And uh, you know, cocoa powder is made from nibs. It's a step. You know, nibs are just a step in the process where they take that and they process it further to remove the non-chocolatey bits. And uh, like you're saying, some of the, the fatty stuff and and the the woody stuff. So they're just getting rid of that junk that they don't want to use in, you know, chocolate. And yeah. when they make chocolate that, you know, they, their process is, you know, to make it, make the cocoa powder and all that. So it's a, you know, it's a purer form of the same thing. 
um, and more of the flavor that you really want. Uh, so I, I prefer the powder for sure. Um, you know, again, the, the dealing with powder, it, it can be a bit of a pain because it's so fine. Um, you could, uh, you know, before we had a centrifuge, uh, you know, we would let it sit for, you know, weeks and we use the uh, finings to try and, you know, pull, pull the, uh, the cocoa powder out. And that works, you know, for the most part, but you know, you take one of those beers, you let it sit, you know, cold on a, on a shelf for a year. Um, you'll find a dusting of cocoa powder in the bottom, you know, but, uh, with a centrifuge, you can, you can really take it out, um, without filtering the beer. Uh, you could filter too. Um, that's another possibility. One of those, uh, you know, plate filters or whatever that they have, uh, at the homebrew shop. Um, speaking of homebrew shops, uh, our friends, uh, uh, RJ and Josh at, uh, Brew Chatter in, uh, n- near Reno, Sparks, Nevada. Um, I'm sure they've got, uh, filtration options for you. If you're, if you're interested in, uh, filtering out, uh, uh, cocoa powder out of your beer, they can tell you how and, uh, sell you the equipment too. Uh, good folks. They're, uh, they're wonderful guys, uh, that are passionate about brewing and uh, they'll readily share their information with you. So check them out. Um, I'm going to be up there the 16th. Is that next, next weekend? Yeah. Uh, yeah. On Saturday, uh, they're going to, we're going to uh, do a little release of the Mo Horny and uh, we're going to do some brew in there and have some fun. So I'm looking Very forward good. to that. Let's see one more break and sure. then we'll, we'll finish up uh, with a few questions right after this. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right. We're back. We're doing live Q&A. If you have questions and you're listening live, you can uh, just ask them in the, in the comment section there. John's keep an eye on that. Uh, feel free to ask questions there. And then uh, if you're not listening live, you can always send us an email, brewstrong at thebrewingnetwork.com and uh, enter your questions in that way. And we're happy to uh, get to them as soon as possible. You are next in the queue. Uh, the expected wait time is about seven years. <laughs> we will get to it. I'm very sorry. Let's see here. Uh, Brennan was asking about books for the aspiring commercial brewer. Brew Strong Crew, uh, I'm looking to get my foot in the door in the brewing industry. I would like to know if there's any literature out there that would be beneficial for an aspiring commercial brewer to further his education. I'm both a home brewer and an avid reader. I've read and regularly look back to passages of How to Brew, Brewing Classic Styles, and the four books of the Brewing Elements series. I've listened to your get a brew job radio show and you, I know you mentioned uh, the benefit of having a certificate from one of the big brewing institutes. I don't have the money to afford a degree from any uh, of my options, but following the advice from Frank Zappa, if you want to get laid, go to college. If you want an (laughs) education, go to the library. Um, See, this is why I enjoyed college so much. I think, Yes. I think, (laughs) You know, just to think back on it, uh, that was really a wonderful time. 
I think I could use my reading skills to acquire some of the knowledge without taking out a new student loan. If only I knew what to stock my personal library with. Thank you. And I appreciate the show. Brennan. Okay. John, uh, with the MBAA, you know, they've got a lot of uh, books uh, oh, yeah. and such. Uh, you know, what do you, you know, there's a whole huge catalog of brewing books. Yeah. And, you know, um, I would also add, you know, great uh, source of documentation, uh, the MBAA. Um, right. I would suggest, you know, it's not uh, cheap, but, you know, if you are a student, <laughs> Speaking of school, yeah, um, they essentially have what amounts student, to yeah. uh, student uh, uh, accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, even if not, I think you know the the vast uh, warehouse of knowledge and materials that's available through the MBAA is quite quite beneficial, and the books that, that they have there. And um, right. you know, it depends on what aspect of brewing I you you feel like you need to learn more of. You know, for commercial brewing, a big part of it is packaging and packaging is the thing that, you know, everybody thinks of brewing as making work, you know, and that's the thing that they focus all their time on. And I'll I'll tell you, it's, it's certainly an important step, but so is, um, you know, sourcing your materials, you know, the logistics of getting your materials, Uh, you know, once you have work you know, how to cool it properly and how to pitch properly, pitching the right amounts, having the healthy yeast, making sure everything's sanitary, testing for contamination, uh, and then packaging. Packaging's a whole nother world in and of itself where things, uh, you know, where you can have a, uh, you know, what is a perfect beer, but if you don't have perfect packaging, you've now ruined your perfect beer. So, you know, that's a huge thing to learn about, uh, as is the logistics of, you know, just, yeah. Getting the beer out to market, you know, in good condition and ensuring that, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, available to the distributors and the retailers and, you know, managing your costs so that you can actually sell it at a reasonable price and make a yeah. profit. Yeah. Making the beer is the easy part. It's the selling of the beer. Right. That's the hard part. Right. Right. Yeah. If, if you didn't have to sell beer, to own a brewery would be great. Um, so, you know, I'd say any of those parts, um, those are the things you should, you should be, you know, trying to study up on, you know, make you much more valuable because if you go to, um, you know, a, a brewing school such as, um, uh, UC Davis, UC or- Davis, uh, Siebel Institute, uh, American Brewing Brewers Guild, um, you know, Steve Parks uh, thing out there on the East Coast, you know, any of those and any of the other fine institutions that I haven't mentioned, I think they're doing one in San Diego now, aren't they? Yep. yep. Um, our local community college has brewing classes now, uh, you know, and I know that they're not that expensive community college. They really try and keep their, you know, their costs down. Um, you know, in any of those, they're going to teach you not just making work. They're going to teach you about, you know, production of beer because that's what commercial brewing is. It's yeah. not, you know, brewing and having a good time and hanging out. It's production, uh, yeah. you know, almost uh, manufacturing. I know that's a always a, a bad, evil word 
uh, when people are talking about, uh, you know, craft beer, you're not supposed to talk about it as manufacturing. It's supposed to be, but you know, um, it's literally what it is. Oh, yeah. see, he's got a book, beer packaging. It keeps yeah. popping in and out of the hops, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, if beer packaging is a book offered by the MBAA, mm-hmm. um, mbaa.org website, um, the shop, they'll have a whole bunch of beer books, you know, beer production books right. there. And this is one of them. Well, and don't they have a, um, like a recommended set of reading? Well, not so much a recommended set, but I mean, they have like collections of collections. Yes. Yeah. And the master brewers association is the, the professional, uh, organization for uh, America's well for the for brewers um, right. it, it covers not just North America but also um, South America and Europe and so on mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. worldwide now right. um, but yeah the the archives is as you were saying earlier if you get a student um, uh, rate or you know a membership student membership um, you have ac- complete access to the journal archives Mm -hmm. those go back 100 years um topics such as packaging there's um blogs on the mba website community blogs district uh meetings and so on a lot of ways right yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. a lot of ways to pick up information um you know regarding commercial brewing production Mm -hmm. yeah there's great stuff there travis you do a lot of uh reading and studying uh, you know, do you have any favorite books that uh, he hasn't mentioned? Not particularly, but but I, I almost thought there's a disconnect between what you're saying and what he's asking, and mm-hmm. that he's going for a certificate or a degree. You okay. mentioned community college; take a course. You don't have to take the whole school. You don't have to spend five years to get there. Right. You know, just brush up a little bit. You know, especially mm-hmm. on the topics you just listed. Right. You know, pick one, take a course on that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a good right. good point. Yeah, it can be expensive to do the the, the full on uh, yeah. class. I understand, you know, yeah. people can't. Not everybody can afford that sort of thing. But uh, and the books are kind of like textbook costs too. I mean, you know, right. two hundred dollars for yeah. Gunza. Or, yeah, a lot of them aren't cheap. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, community college, uh, the archives, and your mm-hmm. journal archives are probably the the cheapest way to right. to get deeper information. Well, in a lot of these books you can find used. Uh, yeah. You know, there's true. several used book sites and a lot of them will post. If you just search for, um, you know, the, the title of a book, um, there's options to get it for a fraction of the original cost. And, you know, eBay does it as well. Um, you know, so there's, there's good options to pick up the books a little bit cheaper than uh, usually. Nothing wrong with, with buying a used book. Um, Unless it's how to brew. Yeah. Pay full price. Well, they're all. Most of those are unused. I've seen them brand new. That's true. uh, In the in the bargain bin, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I buy my new edition. I put it on the shelf, and I get the Kindle book, and I read the Kindle. Uh Ah, see, there you go. Um. All right. Well, uh, that was an interesting question. Interesting set of questions. You guys are doing a great job of uh, submitting questions to us. Again, uh, Bruce Strong at thebringnetwork.com or, uh, you know, uh, listen, watch live and uh, you can uh, ask your questions that way. If you are uh, watching live, 
Uh, stay tuned. We're going to take a very quick break and we'll, we'll continue on. We, we won't even shut down the feet. We'll just keep rolling. Uh, but this will be the, the end of this episode. And uh, if you're watching, if you're listening on the podcast, it'll be in another two weeks. We'll, we'll drop the other one. So until then, everybody, make sure you support our sponsors, uh, you know, BlickmanEngineering.com uh, and uh, Brute Chatter. Uh, until then, everybody, Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong, everyone. <laughs>